Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I talk about the research behind the link between exercise and mental health, my experience with the benefits of exercise, and some useful strategies to make exercise a part of your daily routine. Listen to this episode if you want to learn why exercise is a recognized treatment for depression and how you can make exercise a habit. Enjoy. First off, I just wanted to say that if you are already doing some form of exercise, I don't want this podcast to overwhelm you and feel that you have to do more. Any form of exercise, whether that's walking, 30 minutes a day, stretching, anything similar to that, you should continue doing it if you're already doing it. Studies have shown that any type of exercise is better than no type of exercise. So please don't stop doing that if you already are. From having different discussions with people and learning about how arguments are made, I've learned that the best way to persuade someone to try something new is by offering research and then combined with own personal experience. So I'm hopefully going to do that today and I'm going to try my best to do a good job of convincing the listener to exercise if they aren't already. My first introduction to routine exercise was last fall after I, no, last summer after I read this book called Spark the Revolutionary New Science of Exercise. After reading the book, I started to run every morning before work for 25 minutes and After about four weeks, I would say, I've noticed a significant improvement in my mood. It's hard to say exactly if if it was because of exercise, but I'm certain that exercise had something to do with that. So I'm going to talk about a couple of studies that have been done which actually prove that exercise can be used as a form of treatment for mental illness. So first, I want to establish the link between mood and exercise. A study was done at the Human Population Laboratory in Berkeley, and it tracked 8,000 people. And it surveyed them at one point in 1975 and then again every 10 years. What they found was that people who had no signs of depression at the beginning of the survey were 1.5 times more likely to be depressed 10 years later if they were inactive. So this shows that there is a link between exercise and mood. It doesn't prove that exercise and mood are correlated or causated. The difference, you know, is being if one increases, the other does as well, maybe for a different reason, but it does show that there's a link. So how does exercise actually affect the brain? I'm not a science guy, so I'm going to do my best to explain it in layman's terms. I think that's the word for it. So there's three ways that exercise affects the brain and all three of these areas are actually areas that are affected when you're also on an SSRI, which is a, oh, I don't know what that stands for, an antidepressant. So the first thing is that it regulates all neurotransmitters that are targeted by antidepressants. This wakes up the brain and it actually increases self-esteem. The second thing is that it boosts dopamine, which 
affects motivation and attention. And then finally, it increases serotonin, which is known as the happy drug, which is really essential for mood. So the first study that I'm going to talk about compares antidepressant use versus exercise in treatment of mental health, mental illness, especially depression. This research was done in 1999, where James Blumenthal and his colleagues pitted exercise against sertraline or Zoloft in a 16-week trial. They divided patients into three groups, one who was only taking the antidepressant, one who was only exercising, and one who was doing both. The conclusion that they came up with was that exercise was as effective as an antidepressant for reducing symptoms of depression. Now that's pretty significant. One problem with antidepressants is that there are a lot of side effects that come along with the drug. So exercise through the study has been shown to have the exact same effects as an antidepressant would, but without the side effects. And actually, they surveyed them again six months later, and they found that 30% of the group who exercised remained depressed, whereas 52% of those on medication remained depressed. So this actually shows that in the long term, exercise is more effective at reducing the probability of relapsing from depression. So for a long-term treatment plan, exercise is actually more effective than an antidepressant, which is pretty substantial. Overall, the conclusion that Blumenthal had was that the most significant predictor of whether someone felt better from being depressed was how much they exercised. They correlated a 50% drop in the odds of being depressed for every 50 minutes of weekly exercise. So if you're already doing 50 minutes of weekly exercise, typically it's defined as aerobic activity where you're getting a sweat. That will cut your odds of being depressed in half. That's pretty significant. The second study that I'm going to talk about looked at exercise being used to augment the effects of antidepressants. This was done in 2006, and it was all done in patients who had been on antidepressants for four months and were still deeply depressed and hadn't gotten any better. For a lot of these patients, antidepressants seemed as if it was the answer, and now that it wasn't working, they were looking for another option. So what they found was that after 12 weeks of exercise, these patients reduced their um, how do you say this? Their points on a depression score by 10.4 points. And this is a 17-point scale. And think about every point as being a symptom of depression, such as tired, sad, etc. So they reduced their points on this depression symptom test by 10.4 points, which is really significant. So now I've hopefully hopefully established the link between mood and exercise. But how much do you really need to exercise and what do you need to do? The next study I'm going to talk about was done by Trevetti and Andrea Dunn, and it divided 80 depressed patients into different groups. Each group was given given a different amount of exercise as a dosage, and this dosage was done in calories burned per pound of body weight. So the high-intensity group had to burn 1,400 calories a week, which was 8 calories per pound. And the low-intensity group burned 560 calories a week, which was 3 calories per pound. What they found was that the high-intensity group cut their depression scores in a half. And the low-intensity group 
cut their depression scores by a third. And I believe this trial was after a 12-week period. So this shows that some exercise is good, but more is always better than less. So if you want to find this rate to see how much you should be exercising, you take your weight, so I'm about 190 pounds, multiply that by 8, math is 1600, and then you need to burn that many calories a week. So let's say you do a typical elliptical session of 300 calories, then you need to do about five of those would be the high intensity rate. So I read this book last summer and it spurred me into action. It had me convinced that exercise was this miracle drug. Since that point, exercise has become a daily routine because I noticed that when I don't exercise, I have a tendency to overthink. I don't feel as happy. My mood definitely decreases and I get more stressed. And so I've now made this link in my head that exercise actually makes me feel better. So I'm actually motivated to exercise. Now I either go to the gym, I run, or I do yoga, and I try to burn about 250 calories every session and go about five times a week. I don't stick to this strictly, but I generally exercise five times a week. Last fall, when I committed to yoga for a 30-day period, I also did notice a really big difference. So for me, exercise has become essential. And... I hope that this research shows you that exercise can be important to you too. Now, two years ago, probably, if you had told me to go to the gym and start exercising, I would have probably laughed at you and said, you know, I'd rather lie in my bed and watch Netflix. So how do you start implementing exercise in routine when you haven't already. So I actually read this book called The Power of Habit, and it explained how habits worked, how they're formed, and also strategies to develop new habits. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the hopes that it can help you make exercise into a daily habit. So the book breaks down habits into three steps. First is the cue, second is the routine, and third is the reward. And the golden rule of habit change is changing the routine instead of just getting rid of an old habit. So the book suggests that it's really difficult to get rid of an old habit such as watching Netflix. However, it's easier to change that habit into something good. So let's look at an example. Let's say that your habit is whenever you feel sad or depressed, which is the cue, you go and lie in bed and watch Netflix. That's the routine. And the reward is that you feel relaxed, safe, and happy. So that's your habit. And that's something that it's hard to just stop doing. If you want to change this habit, the golden rule is changing your routine. So the cue is still the same. When you feel sad, and lonely, now maybe your routine is, okay, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling lonely, I'm going to walk right to the front door, I'm going to put on my running shoes, I'm going to put in my music, and I'm going to go on a 15-minute run. And then after that run, the reward will be either feeling accomplished 
or the endorphin rush that you get from a runner's high. And eventually, after you do that enough times, that habit will become ingrained and your brain will actually start to crave that feeling of accomplishment and a reward. And that's when you actually start to want to exercise. But that takes practice. One thing that I learned that this really helped me to is, is that my brain doesn't always give me the right advice. So that habit of wanting to lie in bed and watch Netflix whenever you feel sad, my brain would always tell me to do that. But over time, I realized that that wasn't a helpful habit for me. And it wasn't actually making my feel, me feel better. My brain was telling me to do something that was actually making me worse. So having that realization that your brain lies to you sometimes and being aware of that and saying, okay, my brain is telling me to go lie in my bed. I know from experience that that's not going to make me feel better. So instead, I'm going to change that and I'm going to go on a run. And the more you do that, as I said before, you'll start developing this habit and you'll start wanting to exercise more. And then there are two things that complement changing your habits that make your odds of success go up substantially. The first is belief and the second is a sense of community. This idea of belief is believing that what you are doing is going to have an impact. This is essential and it grows often out of communal experience or doing your research or reading. For example, if you read Spark and realized the powerful effects that exercise can have, this would foster your belief in exercise and get you to keep committing to it day after day. In addition, if you're running with a group of people or you join a club, excuse me, at your gym of other people who are also exercising to help increase their mood and you're seeing the effect that exercise is actually having on them, that will increase your odds of success as well. And this is formulated, not formulated, this is a conclusion that's made from research. Alcoholics Anonymous is a 12-step program that was not actually founded in any type of science. And what they found through studies is that the people who went through the whole program and were actually the most effective were those that had fostered belief in what they were doing. And that can either be release of a belief of a higher cause or seeing the people around them benefiting from what they were doing. So I also hope that this podcast and this episode fosters belief in exercise because I'm a strong believer in it. And if you want to read the book as well, I think that would also foster belief as well as committing to do it with a group of friends. Then I have some final two suggestions that the book also mentions, which I think applied to this area. It's funny because I didn't actually read this book with the intention of, you know, this podcast or exercise, but I actually found it had some really good tips and it's a good book. So I highly suggest anyone reading it. So I'm just having a glass of water. So the first is that willpower is a limited resource in our brain. So they conducted a study and they had two, a series of two tests. And what they found is that people who use their willpower up in the first test had less willpower in the second test. So the first test was they gave people either a radish or a cookie and said, they told the people who had the radish, oh, sorry, no, there was a radish and a cookie on the plate. Yeah. And some people they told 
to eat the radish and other people as they told to eat the cookie. So the people who ate the radish had to use all of their willpower not to eat this wonderful cookie. And the people who ate the cookie didn't use any of their willpower. And then the second test they gave them was a quiz that was actually impossible to solve. And what they found was that the people who had used up their willpower in the first test gave up way easier on the second test than the people who didn't. So this has implications for exercise. At first, when you start out, you're going to have to use a lot of your willpower to exercise. It takes a lot of energy to do it. So I would suggest doing it in the morning when your willpower is at its peak or conserving your willpower throughout the day and being aware of the effect that willpower will have on your motivation. So if you get home after a really long day and you're mad because you don't feel that you want to exercise, well, then you know that that's because your willpower is depleted. So be aware of that and be easy on, be easier on yourself. So for me, I like to exercise in the morning. The second, the last suggestion that I wanted to make was make a plan about how to deal with inflection points, which are moments of pain, or in this case, when you don't feel that you want to exercise. So a study was done and looked at people recovering from knee or hip surgery. Now, in these type of surgeries, the pain from the surgeries can be excruciating. And even if you move small movements, it causes huge pain to move throughout your body. And what they did was they gave half of patients a piece of paper and told them to write down goals for what they wanted to accomplish, how they were going to accomplish it specifically, such as I'm going to go on a walk on 5.30 this day and and suggested to write down their goals and then keep that. And then the, for another, the other half of the group, they didn't give people any piece of paper. And what they found was that three months later, the patients who wrote down a specific plan for how they were going to accomplish their goals recovered twice as fast. And they also tended to focus on anticipating moments where they didn't feel that they wanted to deal with the pain. So by writing down your goals and anticipating these moments where you're not going to want to exercise this increases your odds of committing to this substantially. So that means making a plan saying, okay, I'm going to exercise every morning at 6.30 a.m. That's pretty early. I'm going to, okay, for this this example, I'm going to say, I'm going to exercise every day at 5.30 p.m. when I get home from work before dinner. Okay. And then you anticipate the inflection point. So I'm going to get home from work at 5.20. You can write this down and I'm not going to feel that I want to exercise. I've just had a long day and I don't want to put on my running shoes and go on a run. So then you write a suggestion for how to deal with that. I'm going to tell myself that committing to this for eight weeks leads to multiple benefits for my mood. I'm going to eat a snack that makes me feel better and I'm going to put on my running shoes and I'm going to just do it. And so that will make you make it easier for you to commit to it. So I've given a lot of information. I hope that it was interesting, engaging, informative, and fun to listen to. That's a, that's a handful. I hope, yeah, that's a lot to accomplish. Um, so just summarizing the main points in four takeaways. One, exercise is an effective treatment of depression and even more effective than antidepressants in the long run. Second, to gain the full effects of exercise for your mood to treat depression, exercise eight times your weight and burn that many calories a week for 12 weeks. Not that long. You can do it. I believe in you. Third, to commit that, to commit to that, instead of getting rid of an old response, old habit, such as watching Netflix, 
change your routine, and then find a way to foster belief in what you are doing. Finally, make sure to exercise when your willpower is high and make a plan and write it down on how specifically you're going to accomplish your exercise goals and also anticipate the inflection points. Thank you for listening to the second episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I will talk to you soon. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.